Hey everyone, before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episode live with us every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central via Zoom. Check the link in our bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to your latest episode of Catalog and Cocktails. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with a tasty beverage in hand and an awesome guest in this case, too, which we'll introduce in just a moment. So I'm Tim Gasper. I am a data, uh, I'm sorry, our product manager, uh, a director of product management over at data.world and joined by Juan Cicada. Good afternoon. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm a principal scientist here at data.world. And it seems like uh, you're having a tough Wednesday. You need to have a break and a drink right now, Tim. You can't even say your job title. Come on. I, I, I was thinking <laughs> data manager, data product manager. I know I have my beverage here. So, you know. <laughs> well, we're really excited to be joined here today uh, by Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Basket is uh, he is an executive in the financial area. He's the global head of alternative data at Essential and just been a leader in data analytics, covering the entire digital economy. We are super excited to have this conversation today about data marketplace. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Oh, so delighted to be here. And uh, just so everybody on the call knows, um, I'm an advisor to data.world. I won't plug anything today, but uh, I'm delighted to be involved with data.world. I think what they're doing is super cool. Um, and then I've spent a lot of time in this area. So excited to, you know, shoot through questions and, uh, you know, have some fun with us. Awesome. Yeah. So just as a reminder, um, we are, any questions, feel free to go add them here to the chat. Uh, and also join our community Slack. Go to slack.data.world. We're really trying to kickstart that community again and have a lot of the discussions. So the discussions that we have here, we can continue them on, on Slack. And uh, we're on podcasts. So you can always find all our episodes on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, even on YouTube if you want to see our faces here. <laughs> you can find yeah. them on YouTube. So you can find us in all the good places. And before we dive into a little bit more about data uh, marketplaces, which is going to be kind of our topic today, um, uh, what are y'all? What are y'all drinking? Uh, Juan, what are you drinking? I am drinking a new one, a caipirinha. So my very good friend Taizi, she gave me a bottle of cachaça, and I made myself a nice caipirinha, which is super simple: just some limes, add some sugar, muddle it, ice, caipirinha, and here you go. Cheers! Uh, How about you cheers. guys? Uh, I'm drinking a Jungle Bird, which is sort of a tiki-ish drink. And, and Jeremy, you got a drink too, or are you skipping today? <laughs> so I'm still in the office, so I grabbed a coffee cup and put water in it. So I'm probably the least interesting person here today. <laughs> that's all right. The cup has a nice design on it, so that's awesome. <laughs> it does. Look at that. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> For those just listening, you will not be able to see the cup, so you need to join us live. So yeah, just as a reminder, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central, we're always here. You know, everybody's open. Welcome to join our live uh, chat. Uh, this is our live podcast recording. And then that 30 minutes in, we'll stop recording and we'll start our conversations and more op open up the floor to everyone. So just as a quick reminder, we over the last couple of weeks, we've had these great conversations about data culture. Uh, last episode, we had this conversation about the do's and the don'ts. And we had a previously a great chat with the folks at the Associated Press. Now we wanted to kind of switch gears a little bit, but it's still about culture within your co company is, let's talk about this notion of a data marketplace. And it is something that we're hearing more and more of. We got, we need to do analytics with our own internal data, but there's also, there's 
abundant amount of external data, let it be open data or third-party vendor data. And like, let's, what, how do I even keep started? So I think Jeremy is a great person to have this conversation here. So um, here we go, let's start. <laughs> awesome, so, well, hey, look, thanks so much for having me. And uh, just to provide a little bit of background, um, I've spent the last 20 years uh, in various seats uh, on Wall Street uh, and tech. And um, for me, really, principally, I always look at you know finding and sourcing data uh, to solve problems. So um, as I think about my life as a, an investment banker, looking at industrial technologies, uh, later doing a, a few different data startups, um, probably the most relevant experience that I'll, I'll draw from today, notwithstanding what I do now, is uh, I did spend almost three years uh, at Bloomberg Focus on what we called our alternative data platform. So if you think about the foundations, uh, at least for Wall Street, not every industry, but you need reference data, you need all kinds of foundational data. And my job was to take all the data feeds that we had that were what we call alternative, i.e. not exactly finance oriented, and put them into one place. Uh, you know, actually our, our data catalog looked to some extent like what Data Worlds does, uh, just not as good. but. Uh, the whole idea was to have some metadata and some descriptions and, and an offering in one place such that people can you know, think about, do they need that? Do they want that? And then in our case, at least at Bloomberg, it was you know, a little bit of a click and buy with some handholding. Um, so I guess when, when I think about marketplaces, I, I come back to what is the value of data and what are you looking to solve for? So let's say, for example, um, and, and, and some of the use cases I look at every day are a hedge fund might want to buy or invest in a company. So from first principles, they have to think about what is the data I need on that company that's readily available? And what are some of the ways I can find some additional insights uh, from a legally compliant perspective to actually know a little bit more than everybody else so I can make better decisions about investing or divesting in these companies. So uh, to give you an example, I mean, I work with satellite providers, credit card, credit card data, Sent, you know, you, you name it, email receipts. Um, so if, if my question were, for example, all right, I like Tesla. I think Elon Musk is a genius. How many cars are actually rolled off the lot every day? How many cars are sold every day? So I might, I might think about, all right, so is there a way I can get satellite data representing an image of the manufacturing plant and try to like look for, you know, how many cars rolled off the lot today? You know, how many actually were like manufactured? And then I wanted to backfill that with, okay, if I had all the DMV data, how many actual you know, DMV uh, licenses are issued, registrations are issued uh, for Teslas? So I can sort of think about, okay, how many are coming off the lot? How many are getting actually licensed and registered to somebody? Instead of waiting around three months for the company to tell me how many they sold, what if bottoms up I knew what every plant was manufacturing and like every major DMV in some of the big cities like LA are printing every day, then I have a pretty good indicator and I can build a pretty good probabilistic model of, are they going to be above or below what they've told Wall Street? Are they above or below what Wall Street, you know, interpreted Tesla to be? So from first principles, let's say I'm a data scientist or I'm the head of a sourcing team at a hedge fund. I need to go to a place like a data catalog or otherwise figure out what's publicly discoverable, what's privately discoverable. And, you know, whether it's click and buy or handholding, figure out how to get it into one place and then, you know, for the love of God, I might spend how much time actually putting it into a useful format for my team to test and play with. But uh, I guess every various seed has a various uh, sort of look at this. But my, my supposition is over the years, whether it's a catalog like Data.World or all of the major worlds, uh, platforms, Amazon, Snowflake, 
Bloomberg, whatever, um, all trying to, you know, fit that mosaic together. You need to figure out how to get something in the right person's hands. And the person that has the budget needs to figure out what they can afford. And all this wraps back to what I said originally, which is what is the problem I'm solving anyway? So it's a lot to unpack and I'm, I'm looking forward to unpacking it, but that's kind of a hand wavy first few minutes of what I was kind of seeing at Bloomberg. And I, you know, now I'm at a consumer analytics company, Essential. So I'm the head of a financial services division that takes all the data across all of our owned companies and tries to get them into the hands of hedge funds, banks, private equity, so they they, they can make decisions. So a real life project might be something like, um, you know, Blackstone wants to buy the next hot, you know, gluten-free bread company. Okay, well, where do I start? Who are the brands? We have data, Amazon data, scrape data, survey data from different various pieces of our businesses. We could do a data dump on what are the breakout brands this week that cover that, you know, unit on Amazon. So we might be able to actually help them solve that question. What's trending? What are the big ones? And then they would backfill it with, okay, how much money have each one of these raised? Are they owned by a big conglomerate? Or is this like a, you know, a, a potentially backable company, series C, series D, growth equity, whatever. Um, so these, these are the kinds of like pieces of all the puzzle that you need to put together. Yeah. It seems like there's a ton of different data that can be brought to bear on a lot of different questions. And uh, more and more folks are starting to look outward and from their own sort of internal data that they have to where they can leverage externally available data, whether it's for purchase or it's open or, um, you know, through partners and things like that. And you obviously gave some examples uh, around sort of the financial industry and things like that. But it seems like every industry has their sort of use cases of like, man, if I could have you know, weather data or a data on individuals or households or data on, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that that could have a huge impact. And, uh, and what's your assessment of, you know, how much, uh, you know, organizations should care about external data? Like what is, what is the impact that that's having? And is that sort of changing over time? Look, I mean, I, I think it's a fabulous question. And uh, now that we have all the tooling and, and the speed of compute and hopefully the right tools to actually align data sets together, um, I think it's it's seminal. I think it's super important, and it, it works in any scenario. I mean, we're you know Juan, we had a kind of a pre-call, and we were just tossing out ideas. I mean, on my walk to work, I saw a Sweet Green. What if you're the owner of Sweet Green that's venture backed, and you want to figure out what are the zip codes that need more Sweet Greens, right? So you're going to need urban mobility information. You might want credit card receipt information. You you, you need to understand the dynamics of what is the zip code? How many people actually like salad? How many are affluent enough to afford the expensive salad? What are the competitive, what's the competitive landscape? How many other salad places already exist? And can they be displaced? And are rents going up or down? And now that we've got this COVID thing, all of your models and tests might, might not exactly work anyway. The predictive power of what is the new normal is a little bit confusing. So I do think coming back to first principles, it can be, it's so, it's so important for any corporate intelligence or business planning, whether it's where do I plop the next sweet green or, um, you know, anything in industry, should I create a new uh, popcorn brand? Is popcorn saturated or not? You know, I need to know the price points of popcorn. Is it popular? Is it on Amazon? Is it boutique? Is it B2C? Is it B2B? There's just so many questions around, is there a problem here that I need to solve or not? And uh, I don't know that we need more popcorn. I'm not a popcorn entrepreneur, but there's a lot of different, uh, data sets that might help inform my, is there a real growth market here or not kind of question. So, so how would you, how would you know what to start? Because everything you're, you're saying, I mean, this all makes sense. I, we got all these questions, but I'm like so overwhelmed now. I, got, I don't want to boil the ocean. Right. Uh, yeah. 
how how when would it, when would an organization know that they should start looking into external data? Like, what are the flag like the the, the positive flags saying? Wait, oh, hey, if you're going through this or that, like you should really start doing this, or is it is is there never a good time, or it's always a good time? Yeah, I think from a I think from a it, it depends a bit on the role too. So I know I've been jumping around a little bit, but if I'm the head of business development for a company, I'm thinking about what companies I might want to acquire. Or if I'm the head of a product of a company, I might be thinking about what feature sets am I missing that I can't build myself. So I might want a list of acquisition targets. Maybe that's my old M&A brain working, but I'd at least want to know what companies solve certain problems that I might want to try to acquire. Um, so I think it really depends on the seat. If I'm a data scientist, uh, back to, I guess, Tim, your point on the weather, let's say I'm a manufacturer of coats. Maybe I'm Burlington Coat Factory. And uh, you know we know New England's probably going to have really bad weather. How is climate change going to impact that, right? I mean, are we are we looking at a hotter planet? Like, am I going to sell as many jackets next year? Um, it's hard to say from a micro and macro perspective, but if I need to figure out how are the weather patterns going to affect me, I might have to think about well, what's available. IBM bought the Weather Channel. IBM now has APIs of this data. How expensive is it? Can I negotiate with them? How much can I get for free? Uh, and look, frankly, how relevant is it? Do people buy coats anyway, or do they wait till it's really cold? And then I've got the joint confusion now of, okay, does COVID keep people home? Do they even need jackets? I might not need to upgrade my jacket collection this year because I'm not doing anything. I'm not going skiing. Who's, who's buying suits right now, right? Who's buying suits? Nobody's going off to an office and traveling to business, right? <laughs> oh, I mean, you're just hitting at the heart of what I see every day and stare at. But one of our best divisions, WGSN, does style uh, market design for, um, you know, pretty much any cutting edge product. And I can tell you, as I stare at Brooks Brothers and Charles T. Ritt and all the people that probably used to do pretty well when Wall Street was doing well, uh, it's just not a pretty time to be selling dress shirts. Although to be fair, what we call it at work is the above the keyboard. Above the keyboard is actually doing pretty well. So women's bracelets, <laughs> makeup, you know, dress shirts actually are doing fine, but suits definitely not. And slacks, a thousand percent not because who yeah. wants to wear slacks? Um, and jeans is actually an interesting topic. So, you know, some of our hedge funds in my case, but generally the jeans makers are looking at, you know, forecasting businesses like ours and saying, okay, well, we don't know if kids are going to college. We don't know if people are going to actually physically go to high school. You know, jeans look good, but they're not necessarily that comfortable. How big is athletes are going to be, you know, our sweatpants, what we need to focus on. So if you're Dick sporting goods or, um, you know, whether you're athleta or whatever, wherever your seat is in the market, do I need to go nuts and like come up with eight different like thicknesses of, of pants um, and yoga pants because people just want to be comfortable and they're not even commuting anymore. So these are the types of forecasting questions that we get all the time. So if you're a company looking for this type of data, do you know that essential exists? You might know if I'm in the data.world catalog, or you might not, or you might just need to Google search your way into the spiral of wherever Google wants to send you. Yeah, that's actually a good uh, segue because I think, you know, when you, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, weather data, you know, now weather.com is owned by IBM. Obviously, you've, you've talked to or alluded to a few different places where you can find data. Um, uh, where, where are the major marketplaces? Like if you're, if you're somebody at a company is like, man, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, I am wearing uh, sweatpants. Like I, we need no. to take a more data driven approach here. Like wh where, where are people going for alternative data these days? You know, I, I would say, at least from my experience, they're kind of clustered into a few categories. So if you're looking at a very beautiful, I hate to pitch anybody, but a, like a very elegant tech-oriented solution, 
you're sort of like, okay, I hear Snowflake has a data marketplace and they do essentially actually is on Snowflake. Snowflake um, has very cool technology and they're a little industry agnostic. So um, a good place for us to play. Uh, if, if, you, if you're looking um, sort of in a general sense, you know, a place like Snowflake makes sense. Amazon uh, recently launched their data marketplace. We're actually gonna be you know, appearing there soon. Um, Amazon's also another good place that's a little bit industry agnostic, fairly geographically exposed. So Amazon data market catalog probably makes a lot of sense. And then I, I guess I don't want to lean too heavy on the financial data markets, but each one of the, these players like Bloomberg, FactSet, S&P, they're all doing it um, in part because there are specific data linkages back to their foundational data. So if you have Bloomberg terminals and if you buy Bloomberg data feeds, particularly the market data, like where did Tesla trade today, you know, why not have your all data linked uh, to the financial data so it's easier to use out of the box? So in, if, if you're in the financial data world, you're going to want one of those market catalogs because at least it's trying to bend into a use case there. Um, so I think the major marketplaces that I would draw people to, at least that are a little agnostic to the industry, probably be Amazon, Snowflake. Um, there's undoubtedly others. There's a lot of boutique data catalogs coming up as well. Um, and then obviously somebody like yourselves, uh, you know, that, that has... Uh, you know, consulting legs. I, I think that's another area of the market I find really interesting. If you're a McKenzie or a big five consulting firm, do you need to layer in and embed your own data catalog or can you work with somebody like data.world? I don't think everybody should build data catalogs. I don't think everybody should build their own cloud infrastructure. There can be one or two or three winners, but there's no reason that we need to have a hundred data catalogs scattered around the internet. For sure. And let me got just a, a, a quick pitch for a previous episode that we had on build versus buy data catalog. So there are reasons for building, there are reasons for buying. So if you want to go into that, don't, don't forget that we had that episode uh, a few weeks back. But I, I got another question talking about, even connecting into the conversation we had before on, on culture and on people. Who are the personas involved in, in, in acquiring data? Like, how do I know within my organization? Do I have the right people to go find data? Like, who are those people? What are their roles? Who do they work with? Or do I have to go hire a, a brand new person for that? I'd love your insights on that. Yeah, no, look, it, it's a super hot topic. And it's, uh, if you think about it, is information a strategic weapon or is it more back office? And I think it depends on the organization and, and who the leadership are. Um, I, I think with any good leadership organization, you see what the company values. Is the, is the CEO formerly a salesperson? Is the CEO formerly a product person? Um, so without going too far down that analogy, I think usually the roots, um, you know, they're built at the top and they work their way down. So I would say, um, you know, in the areas I'm familiar with, like a bank, investment banks, uh, commercial banks are so data driven, yet data usually is a back office feature. But if you think about the world of insurance, commercial banking, um, really asset management, anything that relies heavily on processing data and using stats, machine learning, whatever, to come up with an answer. Um, data heretofore uh, probably has been back office, but it's starting to move more and more uh, front office, um, especially if the models are breaking down. You know, if you look at like a FICO score or something where, you know, are you gonna lend money to somebody? Do they have good credit? Are they using credit? Um, you need a ton of data to fit those models. They're usually back office, not necessarily front office, but I think you're gonna see it move more to front office. So who are the people? I think some asset managers and some, you know, very data-driven organizations that are very tech-focused, they typically have a data strategy team. They have a data procurement team. Um, and I think that's very helpful. 
Because if the strategy team is sitting around thinking, what data sets should we have? That's one feature. And then they work very closely with an ops team or, a, you know, frankly, a supply chain team that literally goes and gets it and they beat up suppliers, try to get a little bit of price action. Uh, and, then, and then it moves over to the tech team to plug in. So I think the more forward thinking organizations like a, a consulting firm or any, any of these that are very strategic, you're starting to see more and more kind of front office roles. And it's typically somebody that's kind of a creative type, you know, either they come from a discipline, uh, not necessarily data science or not necessarily tech. They might be a business person, a finance person. I mean, certainly if you're sitting at a, a pharmacy, uh, you know, or something in pharma, you're definitely thinking about oncology and you probably have to be very, um, technically oriented to even understand what those questions are. Because if I'm sitting in a pharma company and I'm thinking about what kind of batches are the teams making, what are the chemicals they need, what, what are the data sets they need to represent which chemicals to buy, you, you definitely need to know the industry. So I think th there's two questions. What, what product hat do you have on or where do you sit in the organization? And then are you industry agnostic or do you have to be an industry expert um, or some sort of very technical expert to even know where to get started? So this is interesting. Like you said, either you you need to know the industry very well. I mean, the, I mean, depends on the organization that you are, the type of company you, you are. But I like that you said that you want to have some creativity. So I can imagine that. Let me even think out of the box. What other data that I may not be thinking about could be very useful to help me get more context inside of here? And maybe because you know the industry, you, that's one thing that can help. But just have that creativity. Like I got this hunch. Maybe like getting this other data would be useful in here. Is that something that you see like, or people are very data driven and data driven to go get the data they need to get? It's, it's so funny. The amount of um, Socratic method I, I use with people, sometimes they already have all the answers and all the questions and other times they don't know where to start. So I'd say certain sophisticated teams I've worked with at hedge funds, just they, they think eight steps ahead and they're always thinking about, okay, movie theaters, one of the movies going to reopen. Well, let's backtrack. What's the health of the consumer? Are they making movies? When are the movies going to get launched? And they and they can think from point A to point F, and they know what data sets or what what they would need to uh, kind of think through the process. But I have other teams that I try to work with that I ask them questions like, okay, so you tell me you're a macro trader and you're trying to figure out, you know, is the pound going to be stronger next year? The amount of places you might have to look to figure that out are are you know really really challenging because if you if you think about the dynamics of each country. What are they producing? What are the core products? What do trade deficits look like? What's the regulatory system look like? You could go down that rabbit hole and ask 800 questions, and those 800 questions would lead you to tons of data sets. So I think it's um, you have to be more creative when there's no end answer, but when there's an easy answer like, look, Tenet looks like a really cool movie. If it gets released next quarter, and I have some sense for when the vaccines are rolling out for COVID, how popular are the AMCs going to be that are showing the Tenet films? at least it's a linear question. You don't necessarily know the answer and there's some variables in there, but it's a little bit more closed loop, I guess. The open loop questions just require a ton of creativity. How is the pound gonna look in three years vis-a-vis -vis the US dollar? The amount of inputs you could have and the features you could tweak are practically infinite, which is why most, you know, most people look at financial instruments as uh, an inefficient market, no matter what. I mean, it, it can't be efficient because there's so many questions and there really is no answer. And to some extent, the prediction models are good, but they'll never be perfect. Whereas if you're looking at what's the forecast for, you know, crop development next year in Argentina, if I have rainfall and I typically know the patterns and I know how much was planted, you know, you can pretty well forecast with 
a little bit of fine tuning within some level of precision. So I, I think, I, I guess the short answer is some organizations are more creative than other others, but some questions are much more complex than others. So it depends a little bit on the complexity of the question and who the players are in the room. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of sort of art to it, not not just the science of it. And so it's a, that makes it interesting because you're not just sort of setting your hypotheses and saying, hey, you know, here's what we could do. It seems like there's a lot of, uh, you know, as you mentioned, creativity, there's guessing and testing, there's um, experience and expertise that kind of comes to play in it. So that that's interesting. And you know, one thing that came to mind as you, as you were kind of talking through that, you know, we were talking a little bit and we started from the persona side of it, is that, um, you know, we keep on hearing this term more often lately, this idea of a data hunter, that these are people in an organization. You know, you had mentioned sort of front office, back office. Do, do you see that data hunters tend to be more of a back office thing, more of a front office thing? Is that, you know, is it a hat people wear or a role that people have? It's so funny. I mean, this is like the hottest topic in our, in our industry. And it's... Uh... It's one that's uh, it's going to take time to really sort out. So I would say if you're in this, if you're in a traditional seat as a fund manager, for example, you're going to say data is back office. You're going to say I already got everything I need from Bloomberg, from talking to research analysts, from talking to the CFOs of these companies. I don't particularly need any extra data. I'm fine. I want to I want to do well in the market. I want to get paid my bonus, and I want to go to sleep and you know wake up tomorrow with my eight kids in my gigantic house and you know leave me alone. Data is a back office function. Yeah. Now, the, pro the problem is, as returns are getting harder to harder to find, and data is getting more and more distributed across organizations, the people in the quote unquote back office that used to be the buyer of the Bloomberg data or the buyer of the weather data are sort of saying, look, I'm actually a strategic, strategic part of what we call organizational alpha. I'm seeking alpha, which is excess returns. We are seeking it as an organization. And I'm part of the team that's helping immunerate our fund managers with the right answers I want a piece of that action. You know, I want to move more to the strategy side. I want to get paid like a strategic thinker. So I think that is kind of the evolution of what we're seeing. Am I more front office? Am I more part of the answer? Am I more part of um, the success quotient? If I am, I want to get paid like that. I want to, you know, be seen by the organization. So I, I think it's just a matter of time where we're going to see this more and more. Um, whether you're talking about optimizing an Uber route or, DoorDash for food delivery or whatever, the better you feed the machines, it's the guys and gals that are building the machines and the people that are loading the machines with training data. Every one of these pieces is critical. So I think the back office is moving to the middle office and then the next step would be the front office. It is a very strategic attribute to be able to say, what do I wanna tweak in my model? What are the algos trying to answer? Because the algos are getting prettier and prettier. The GT3 or whatever, like my, the ability to complete a sentence is getting better. But why am yeah. I building the sentence, right? Like how many monkeys on a typewriter could come up with Shakespeare given enough time? <laughs> you know, fair enough. But like, um, I, 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 think, I think it's moving more front office. It's typically considered back office. Um, Data Hunter is a beautiful role and a beautiful title in my mind. It's sort of like the, uh, you know, like the fishing expedition. What am I fishing for? Am I going to catch anything today? So yeah. I think th this is going to be interesting discussion going forward on our whole topic that we've had before on data product management, on knowledge science. I think this the question is, where does a data hunter fit within the larger data ecosystem, data teams within an organization? I think there's something worth uh, thinking more about. But hey, Jeremy, I know I told you time flies. It's already almost been 30 minutes. I want to close up with this one question. final question is, what is the biggest mistake that 
kind of data acquisition teams have within an organization. And like, what, if, if there's something you're going to tell people is don't do this, people do this all the time. Do not do this. What is that thing to make sure that they don't commit, they don't make those mistakes that other people have done? There's a bunch I could say, but I think the most valuable one is knowing the capacity of your team to handle data. And I don't necessarily mean getting the data or cleaning the data. It's using the data. So if you have 50 data scientists and they're all really, really good, and you know you could feed them 50 unique data sets and a bunch of different questions, then you can go buy that data and watch them come up with the answers. But I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is large teams buying a ton of data because they want to impress management and they want to impress their investors. And frankly, they don't even use half of it. Um, there's been certain <laughs> subscriptions that come up and I'm like, hey, I see that they're never even using the data. Typically they pull it, put it into a data lake and I don't see what happens downstream. But what if they've never asked me any questions? Somebody pays a few hundred thousand dollars for a data feed and I don't really get a lot of questions after integration happens. I can guess they might not even be using it. So I think the biggest mistake a data hunter or a data team can, can do, particularly on the processing of expensive data, is buy ahead of, of their real ability to process. I think demand is infinite, whether it's public data, private data, expensive data, alternative data. Demand is infinite, but your supply of really great people to pound on the data and come up with answers, that's usually the limiting factor. It's not always budget. It's really just more, how much do we actually need to process? So be very cautious about buying stuff that people don't have time to process. Know the capabilities of your team, how good they are, how fast they are, how much they can work with in ambiguity and not waste money on buying a bunch of stuff in advance. Yeah. So don't, don't treat your data purchase like a, like a gym membership. Just you have the option to go to the gym if you want to, but you know, like actually go to the gym, make sure you can, right? <laughs> Be realistic about how frequently you're going to go to the gym for sure. Awesome. Well, Hey Tim, like, like, like always, let's wrap up with takeaways. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll, honestly, uh, there were a few takeaways there that I started to get really excited about. But the one that I think that, that would really impact me the most is actually the last thing that you said there, Jeremy, the, knowing the capacity of your team to use the data. Because I think that, um, you know, there usually you have one problem or the other. It's that either like you, you're not taking advantage of alt data at all, and you're not letting it actually have the impact it could have on your business or you're overdoing it, right? You're actually buying a ton of different data assets and you're not putting it to effective use. You're kind of wasting your money or just trying to use up your budget. So I love thinking of it as like an optimization problem and, and how do you really get good at optimizing that? So that, that's, that's really interesting to me. And my takeaway is, I got several takeaways. The first things that come to mind, one simple definition, a data marketplace is really a data catalog for your internal and external data. That's a kind of one simple definition. And I love this thing of we got to be creative. You're going to have you're going to have questions that have no clear answers. You're very complex questions. You really need to have people who are going to be creative to know what figure out what type of data is going to be needed. Really think out of the box. So I love that this is not just kind of a a plain little simple um, statistical math problem we're going to do. No, we got to be really creative. Think out of the box here. I think that's one of the great takeaways I'm getting out of this. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. This was awesome. Uh, I'm, I myself have to go back and listen to this because there's just so much information that you just shared with us. I uh, look forward to keep having the conversation going on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me and uh, keep up with the good work. Much great. Everybody have a great Wednesday. <laughs>